Burn the ships. Go all in. You will make it happen. Go big or go home. You've all heard these sayings, but does this mentality scare you? Are you ready to go all in? Do you need a little more data first? Should you borrow the big money and roll the dice and go all in? What would it take to become the hero of your own life? To build the business you've always dreamt of? To make money doing something you love? It's time to take control. Can we get on with making money and having fun now? I'm not doing it if it's not fun. Join the rebellion with Alan Donegan and welcome to Rebel Entrepreneur. Welcome to the Rebel Entrepreneur. I am here with my business partner, Simon Payne. Welcome to the show. This is a bit weird and amazing in equal measure, Mr. Alan Donegan. How are you? I am excellent. I'm in Sandhurst in Berkshire in England. The sun is shining and I get to have a chat with you about the philosophies behind the pop-up business school and starting businesses. What could be better? Sandhurst in Berkshire is well posh. If you're going to choose a place to hang out, Alan, Sandhurst is perfect. <laughs> uh, I'm really excited about this, actually. And, you know, we've had a we had a dry run, didn't we? And then you've been interviewing some other folk for the podcast. I've been massively jealous because when you and I are in creation mode, when we're in kind of open mode, generating new ideas and kicking around potential new stuff, the energy just surges around my body. So I tell you what, I'm so looking forward to this. I really am. I've been ever so jealous that everyone else gets to be interviewed by you first. I'm supposed to be your <laughs> business partner for crying out loud, man. Well, actually, this is what got us into trouble. This is how this all started, was uh, Winchester Starbucks with some very strong lattes and several hours of conversation about what's the best way to start a business. This is what got us into all of this trouble, Simon. It is. Do you know what? I was thinking about this, actually, because uh, I've been asked for my book recommendations by members of my team, members of our team, I should say, for some of our, our stuff that we've got coming up on, online. And it reminded me of the four-hour work week. And those first conversations that you and I had over the four-hour work week, uh, Tim Ferriss's book, of course, and I knew I was in big trouble when you bought the coffees and you came back with a large black americano like who drinks large black americano i could practically swim around that mug and then as you say the rest is history well that was the four hour work week by tim ferris was one of the books you recommended me in was it you recommended me had i read it did we discuss it i can't really remember but i know that was one yeah of that was the one i i just read it and i said to you after we met uh, and maybe we'll get into the story of how that came about another time but after we met I, I sent you the book recommendation because I just finished reading it and I knew that it was going to grab you in the same way that it grabbed me. And that was definitely uh, taking the pill in the matrix moment for me because it suddenly opened my eyes to what the possibilities are in this new world post-internet, you know. Yes. And one of the concepts Tim Ferriss has in there is about selling and putting up a website and seeing if people will buy what you do. And part of Tim Ferriss's work blended with some other people I've learned from and the entrepreneurial experience from my youth came up with this concept of the mini experiment. And that's the purpose of this podcast, to talk about mini experiment. And you and I ran many, many, many experiments in the early days, trying to figure out 
where to head with our business. And well, to be fair, we still do this to this day. So from your opinion, what is the concept of a mini experiment? Do you know what, Alan? We didn't talk about mini experiments until we'd been running pop-ups a few years in. And I think it was you that joined the dots between starting a business and a mini experiment. And I think it was an absolute revelation for me. And do you know what? It wasn't really a revelation until one of our clients, one of the sponsors of the Pop-Up Business School, the amazing, marvellous Tony Cotton from uh, Bolton in the northwest of the UK, he came up to me at the end of the first session and said, you've cracked it with this. The mini experiments is the thing. And I think what it means for me is that starting a business, you don't start a business by having a ta-da moment. A ta-da, I've got a business now and here it is. It's this perfect shiny thing because that puts all sorts of pressure on whether it's going to be successful or not. And that's the kind of pressure that you don't need. But also what it does, it just puts you in a mindset that this can't fail. And it's the mindset which is you know, this thing of this is going to be a successful business because it can't fail, can it? But you simply don't know. You don't know if your business is going to work or not until you do an experiment. For me, this is a, it's partly marketing. It's a branding exercise for our brains. Instead of me saying I'm launching a business, you say to yourself, I'm just going to try this mini experiment and see what I learn. So it doesn't matter if it works or not. I just know that I'm going to learn something. And I think as soon as I got my head around how to describe that and explain that to people that are coming to pop up, suddenly it de-risks everything. Of course, we're going to talk about you don't need money to start a business, but it's the fear factor, which is the thing that holds people back. Their ability to be confident to start their thing. And by calling it a mini experiment, launching a mini experiment, trying things and testing things, picking something, sticking it in front of an audience and asking them to buy money. That's the thing that has unlocked so many people through pop-up. I love that. That is the concept. That's exactly the way I see it is let's just throw it out into the world and see if it works. And if it doesn't, well, we've learned something. And I think people in general, me included in the past, have been so scared of failure. And if it fails, if it goes wrong, the consequences are huge for our egos, for our wallets, for the debt we've borrowed to build a business and all of that stuff. The consequences are huge. But by doing a mini experiment, we can learn and get some data as to whether people actually want what we offer. And I think you're right. That is absolutely the key to this stuff. And the second part of this, which I'd love to explore with you, is you don't actually know if that dream business you've been thinking of running for 20 years is actually fun or not. I know so many people who want to open a restaurant or want to launch this giant business but they've never worked in a restaurant. They have eaten in them. Therefore, that is enough. They know it's going to be good, but they've never actually run one. And I think, how do you know if you're going to like running a restaurant until you've done an experiment? And you know the Ben and Jerry's riff, Simon. I do this all the time. How do you know what type of business you're going to run? Well, you don't know until you try some of them. How do you know what type of ice cream you're going to enjoy? What's your favourite ice cream? Well, you don't know until you've tried a bunch of flavours. So the mini experiment gives you a way to try a bunch of different flavours and a bunch of different businesses and see if you enjoy it without the risk attached. And that's the way I see it is 
let's experiment. Let's see what you actually enjoy. And then if you're up for it, let's go full in. I love that. You know, Alan, one of my favorite riffs is if you want to change the way you make money, you have to change the way that you think. And the reason I'm qualified to say that is that I spent the first 10 years of my life in a corporate organization, the next 10 years trying lots of different business experiments and diving in and out of small business with mixed success. And then the privilege of running pop-up business school with you and, you know, training over six and a half thousand people now. So I, I, I can see it and I saw it through my own eyes and through my own learning experiences. And I learned the hard way. Trust me. I have the scars, the blood, the sweat and the tears, as you know, Alan. But this thing about changing the way you think, and I think when you're an employee and you're working for somebody else, they don't get that excited by you making mistakes every day. You know, it's, <laughs> it's not really the done thing, is it? No. You, you can see the look on their face when you turn up and you go, hi, I've failed again. This is my fourth failure of the week. How cool am I? It doesn't really work like that when you work for someone else. But when you're working on your own ideas and making your own things happen, firstly, failing is the wrong word to use. Secondly, it's part of the process getting things wrong. And the faster you get things wrong, then the faster you're going to get the results that you want. But I think like the final piece to this jigsaw is that when people go into business with employee mindset they think about it in terms of what they think the business needs to look like when it's successful but you have no idea what the business is going to look like when it's successful partly for the the thing you just described you don't know if you're going to enjoy it yet and actually i i came very very close to opening a restaurant with my oldest friend mike who's in australia right now we came so close i can't remember what happened as to why we didn't. I have actually run a restaurant before in my late teens, early 20s. And I probably wouldn't do it again. I don't know what I was thinking. But we get seduced by the idea of having this business without having that process of dating the business first. And there's a really horrific dating analogy that's just popped into my head. But we love the idea of being with our business, but you just don't know if that's going to happen until you've spent a few weeks together and maybe a few months as well, you know. I think you're exactly right. Until you move in together, how do you know if it's going to work? And it's an interesting analogy. So let's just, I think what happens is people want to jump to the end outcome without doing the steps along the way. And I met a lady at one of the pop-ups earlier in the year. We were in Charleston in South Carolina running an event there. And we were talking about how to start a business for free. She said she wanted to own and run a Michelin-starred restaurant on a vineyard. That was the dream. And how could she go from zero to running that restaurant on a vineyard with no money. Now, she did actually want to raise millions to buy the land and to do it. My first question was, have you ever run a restaurant? My second question was, have you ever run a vineyard? The answer to both of those was no. And she was confident that the only way she could do it was raise millions, buy it, and then do the Tada launch. And I'm sat there thinking, well, what percentage of new restaurants fail? Now, I actually Googled this to find out the data. It's lower than you think, but it's still a lot. 59% of restaurants will fail within three years. So roughly 60%. So more or less, you've got a one in three chance of making it through the first three years as a restaurant owner. So if you take on millions of pounds or millions of dollars of debt 
and you plan to pay that back over the course of 10 years and you've got a one in three chance of making it through the first three, does that sound like good odds? Does that sound like a sensible way to do it for you, Simon? I'm shifting uncomfortably in my seat, Alan, as you know. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Well, I've actually been through the debt that comes from this stuff afterwards. But that that's a very small chance of success. And actually, I think what happens is if you do that and you jump to the big version and borrow the money, you're actually missing out on the learning you need to get from running the mini experiments along the way. So for me, if you want to run a restaurant, well, do a night at home for friends. So put on a night. You're the chef. You're the maitre d'. You're the host. Start doing that. Then maybe sign up for one of these websites where you do the invade the home thing, where strangers will come round your house and you can charge them 20 pounds, 20 bucks. You cook them a meal and you see if you like cooking for strangers and you like running those evenings. Maybe you don't want to be the chef, but I'll tell you what, it's an experience learning how all the bits of the restaurant world works. And then maybe you move on to the next step and you do a pop-up version and then the next step and the next step. But understanding those different elements and going through the steps to get to the vision is the learning that you really need. You just reminded me of that chat we had with Barney, you know, the blogger, the escape artist, when he was using the analogy of people that want to climb Everest but haven't quite made it to base camp yet. Yes. And I think the experimenting process that you're describing just reminds me of that. That That's the stuff that gets you to base camp. And instead of starting your business with the idea that you'd love to be at the top of Everest, let's just find out if you like walking first, isn't it? You know, let's, let's start at the beginning rather than starting at the end. And of course, that's where the, the business plan myth of, you know, writing a business plan as the first step to a business, that's describing what it's going to be like at the top of Everest before you've put your walking boots on. Yes. And actually what you're doing through that business plan is working out how much the boots cost, how much the air evacuation costs if it goes wrong, how much all the equipment costs, how much all the support costs. Then you borrow the money and go into debt before you've even decided if you like walking. When you put it like that as an analogy, it's crazy. Alan, do you like walking? Yeah, I love it. So I'm just pouring some coffee here. Like uh, I'm getting excited, Alan. I need to I need to whet my whistle, as the expression goes. <laughs> this this podcast is powered by a very strong coffee, of course. Absolutely. And actually, so if you want an example, if the listeners would like an example of what I would say is one of the perfect uses of mini experiments, are listen to episode three with Katie and Andrew from Time Trap. These two. They came to pop up in Reading. They actually came to a second one at the university and they built an escape room, but they did it in stages by experimenting. And actually, Katie ran a escape room in her uncle's basement for her family. So she did it as a one-off experience. She designed it, ran it and tested it. And actually, she loved it. And that was part of the experience of going, actually, I do like running these. I do like designing them. Then their second step was to run a two-day pop-up escape room at the Reading Fringe Festival. They did it. They actually lost a little bit of money, but they realised they enjoyed running it and there was something here. Then they moved to the next step. 
And the next step was to run a six-week pop-up one. They were able to borrow a free space and run a six-week pop-up escape room. Now, this time, they made money, they got customers, they got feedback. And this is one of the key bits I'd love you to get from that example, is that Andrew did a feedback form for all of the clients who came in and used that first pop-up escape room. So they learnt from what was happening. They learned what was going well, what was going wrong. And it was only at that stage, after having run it for six weeks, that they worked to get their permanent venue. And I think that's an incredible example of using mini experiments to learn along the way, develop the idea before you finally jump to the permanent version. All this stuff, of course, is a great reminder for people that have been in business for years, not just the ones that are in kind of startup experimenting mode, because you know, we've been running pop-up now. Well, it, this will be our eighth year this year. And it's very easy to get tempted into launching something with a giant ta-da. And actually, we've been having those conversations very recently, you know, pivoting pop-up online and doing stuff differently within the business. You know, people are sort of saying, well, where's the online course then? You know, where can we go and see it? Where can we enroll? How does it work? Well, we don't know how it works yet. Well, when are you going to build it? When I've sold it. But what do you mean? Don't you have to build it before you sell it? No, no, no. There's no point building it if you can't sell it. So let's do those experiments first and start putting it in front of people, asking them if they want to buy. And we were at risk of jumping back down that that rabbit hole. And I just think it's a fantastic way of building something real. It's almost like I think in the early days of business, Alan, I think I had an arrogance about my own creativity, thinking that this idea is such a fantastic idea. But the moment that you put it real as a ta-da, you've missed on all of the feedback of your customers. And of course, those are the ones that are going to help you shape your idea. So I love this sense of mini experiments and Andrew's approach of getting feedback and so on. It's genius because he's shaping his business It's not perfect to start with. It's okay. It's just an experiment. But he shapes the second, third, fourth iterations because he's put it out there and experimented by selling. Yes. And actually, that brings us on to this sales part of a mini experiment. So if we just define a mini experiment, a mini experiment is I've got a business idea. I want to test and see if I enjoy it, if it works well. I just want some feedback as to whether or not it's a good idea or not. So I'm going to stick it out in the marketplace. I'm going to see if anyone buys. I'm going to launch it. I'm going to give it a week, a couple of days, and I'm going to see what happens. That is a mini experiment. Now, we do a piece at the beginning of Pop-Up Business School, which is what's the only way to know if your business will be successful or not. And the only way to know is if someone buys it. That's the only true bit. And Simon and I have done this so many times. I normally charge out into the audience and go, imagine I've got an idea for a new mobile phone case. Who do most people talk to when they've got a new business idea? Their friends. And they go and ask their friends, what do you think of my new business idea? So I pick an audience member and I say, will you be my friend? And they normally, I've had a few people reject me at this point, Simon, which is always disturbing. (laughs) Um, And then I say, well, here's the business idea what do you think? And they go, oh, it's lovely. It's lovely. And then I say, well, okay, it's 20 bucks. It's 20 pounds. Would you buy one? And they look at me and go, maybe. And I go, all right, well, I've got one here now. 
will you give me 20 pounds, 20 bucks for this? And they look at me and go, no. And I think the key learning from this is people will be nice to you until you ask them to get their wallet or their purse out of their pocket. It's only when you ask for money that you get the real feedback. So the core of a mini experiment for me is actually asking for the sale, asking someone to buy. That's the heart of it. Is that your thoughts on this, Simon? To me, Alan, I think it was uh, a very steep learning curve. And I go back to what I said earlier. If you want to change the way you make money, you have to change the way you think. And I think one of my beliefs in the early days of business was that I didn't enjoy selling. And actually, you know, even in the early days of pop-up, I found that side of it tough. But it was a brilliant experience to go through. And I think when it comes to now, I just can't wait to get on the phone. I'm actually excited to talk to people about the stuff that we're doing because I've, you know, genuinely fallen in love with our business and I could talk about it till the cows come home. So that reframe of selling into I'm just going to talk with excitement about something that I'm excited about. And I just need to get that excitement in someone else's mind. And then I'm in real danger of making a sale. And the more of those conversations I have, the better. And I think, you know, if I could go back to those experiences in the early days of actually asking for the sale would have probably meant the pop-up business school wouldn't have happened because we wouldn't have met and this stuff wouldn't have rolled as it's rolled in the same way. But, you know, it really is a game changer when you think, I just need to have as many sales conversations as I can. And just as a little tip from me, if you're someone that's listening that finds the selling process difficult, my other tip would be, it was something from James Clear, actually, Alan, it was a blog post you sent me and it was that thing where he put paper clips in a cup yes. uh, to measure something that he's doing. And of course, that old consultant's adage of what gets measured gets done. But I thought paper clips was a little bit dull for me. So I raided my kid's toy box and came up with a box of these little plastic figurines called Moshi Monsters. And I got two Irish coffee glasses. And anytime I sent an email, a sales email, a Moshi Monster goes in the sales glass. And then every time I made a phone call, a moshy monster went in the phone call glass. And then very quickly, these glasses filled up to the top. That was the thing that was incentivizing me. That I found more motivating than the idea that I wouldn't be able to pay my rent and my bills if I didn't make sales. So we've got to find the thing that excites us to get us going. I tell you what, as someone that wasn't used to, to selling every single day, That was an absolute game changer for me. In fact, somewhere on my Instagram is the picture of the two Irish coffee glasses. Now, where I went wrong was that the reward I gave myself for filling the Irish coffee glasses was Irish coffee. And at sort of 10.30 in the morning, that was a slippery slope. So I think my productivity went down for the rest of the day. But I did learn for the next day, Alan. (laughs) And we've got a whole episode on sales coming up. So have a look down the episode list. There's an entire episode. Simon myself and James, who is the lead salesman for Pop-Up Business School, will be discussing sales and how to do it. So we've got a lot more coming up. Let's just summarize what a mini experiment is. A mini experiment for me is have an idea about what you want to sell, what kind of business you want to do. Come up with an outline of what that is and then find a bunch of customers who you think might buy and ask them to buy. If they buy, sell it to them, an experience running it. 
if they don't buy, we've learnt something and we'll go back round to the start and try again. That, for me, is what a mini-experiment is. How does that fit with how you think about mini-experiments, Simon? I love that. There's, there's one bit that I would add that ties into our methodology, which is the mini-experiment forces people to focus. And I think you know, one of the, the most common things that I see is that we've got some really, really smart people, some very creative people, some great entrepreneur potential that come through our courses, but we almost get bamboozled by what this business could become. And therefore we start thinking of all of the spin out ideas and uh, then it could be this, and then I'll launch the podcast and then it's this, and then it's that, and then it's this. What the mini experiment does is it says, well, you need to think of one thing and you need to think of an ideal customer that would be most likely to buy it. And then you have to go and talk to them and ask them for their money. And the mini experiment is it compels us to focus. And that is the number one question. If someone came to me right now and said, Simon, I'm stuck with my business ideas. I can't seem to make any progress. I'm not making the sales that I want. This business isn't what I thought it would be. Please, can you help me? The very first question I'm going to ask them is, have you focused on one thing first? It can be lots of things later. You can open up new channels and new markets later. But what's the thing that you're going to choose first? The mini experiment is beautiful to force people to focus. I love that. You're exactly right. What's the one thing you're going to sell to one type of person? Let's make it really easy. And actually, I think this is where the pop-up methodology differs from the traditional startup model. So the traditional startup model is write a business plan, spend a long time thinking about it, paint out the picture of the perfect business, including the analogy of you're at the top of Everest, you've done it. So here's the vineyard and the Michelin starred restaurant. This is where I'm heading. This is the perfect vision. Work out how much money you need to borrow to be able to jump from where you are today to the perfect version. You borrow all the money, you go into debt, you spend all the money. When it's built, then you try and sell. And then maybe you make money in year two after you've serviced your debt. That's the traditional way of launching a business. And where we differ, and actually one of the statements I'd love you to explore with me, Simon, is fail fast and fail cheap. Because the traditional way of doing it is fail slowly and fail expensively. So if you're one of the 60% of restaurants that fail, you've probably failed over the course of two to three years and gone heavily into debt to do that failure. We advocate the exact opposite, which is fail fast and fail cheap. What does that statement mean to you, Simon? Well, I've tried failing slow and failing expensively, Alan. I wouldn't recommend it, I guess. (laughs) So have I. It's quite painful. (laughs) I started my first business, and I even hesitate to use the word business because it wasn't a business, it was an experiment. But I started it in 2003. It was a dot-com. And I, I guessed that it would take me about six months to have a yacht and some kind of sports car for me to drive into my former place of work and say hi to everybody and uh, and say, look how successful I've been. I'm still waiting for that yacht and that sports car, Adam, and it didn't, it didn't show up for me. You know what? I look back on that time. I, I call it my £22,000 MBA. I don't know if we've really talked about this very much, but you know, I was doing some stuff online. I was sort of dabbling in other experiments. I was getting paid as a sort of freelance facilitator here and there. And, 
And I, I just look back on that time. And by the way, I know we're going to talk about this. I did go all in on that particular occasion. I did go all in. I burnt the boats. And I know we, you want to talk about burning the boats. I went all in. I learned massively from it. But I had all of the equity that I had in the flat that I was living in at the time. I spent whilst I experimented but I experimented making all the mistakes that everybody makes and trying these traditional approaches of writing business plans, going on government funded free workshops and coming out of them feeling less inspired than when I went in. I did all of that stuff too. And I think the experimenting Brit, brilliant, but the mistake that I made is, and I think I see a lot of perhaps more male than female people that come to pop up. I think make this mistake of this kind of almost testosterone fueled arrogance that says, you know, I know what I'm doing. I can make this happen. And this confidence is fantastic, but I missed the opportunity to learn from someone who's already done it. And that's where you and I built pop up and, and all of the amazing presenters and the team that we've got that come and contribute to that. They say to people, well, don't make the same mistakes we made. You can make new ones. And then you can teach us some stuff. And I think that that's something else that is really powerful about this. So failing fast and failing cheap, I've done the opposite. Please don't do that. Fail fast and fail cheap is definitely the way forward. And in fact, what that really means to me is you've got to promote and you've got to sell and you've got to invest all of your time and energy in the first sort of weeks and months of your business getting in front of as many people as you can, whether that's in person, online, over the phone. That's what fail fast, fail cheap means to me. You think of what you're selling, you figure out who you're selling it to, and you get it in front of as many people as you can. Don't send 10 emails, send a thousand. Don't make one phone call, make 500. Don't follow five people online, follow 50 a day. And I think that that was my experience of, other than the money side of things, my experience of failing slow and failing expensively was that I didn't understand the size of the action that you need to take that I had to fill a funnel. I, I sent one email, didn't get a reply for two weeks, got depressed, and then sent another three emails over the next three months. And then I wondered why no one was buying into my amazing idea. You know, and it seems daft looking back on it, but people make this mistake time and time again. And I get it. It's scary to speak to strangers. Our parents told us for the first 16 years of our life, don't talk to strangers. I know, Alan, you're an advocate of this. Strangers are exactly who you need to talk to when you're running a business, right? You need to get out there. You need to go and speak to people you've never spoken to before. The definition of a stranger, you have to. And that's how you do the mini experiment is you come up with an idea, you go and speak to someone you think would be interested and you ask them to buy. If they buy, tick, you've got a business. If they don't, tick, you've learned something and you can go back round. And I think this actually brings up the thought that your first business idea probably won't be the one you end up running anyway. You're going to go through lots of different iterations, lots of different ideas. I, and I know Simon has too, we've tried so many ideas and most of them have failed. The most successful idea I've ever had has been Pop-Up Business School with Simon. And we had to test a whole host of ideas to make sure that was that one that we wanted to keep doing. So we plough through the ideas and do mini experiments to see if they work. A load of our ideas are rubbish. So we do the mini experiment, we see what would happen and we park it. And we actually did this. I tried to do a mini experiment with Simon and 
we'll come on to that in a bit. But we did a mini experiment where we would sell two corporates. We would sell the opportunity to come and run a pop-up business school in a developing world, uh, a developing country. And we would teach you how to coach people to start businesses. You would learn a huge amount doing it. And you'd come with us to Puerto Rico or to Africa to run a pop-up business school. And you would learn through that experience. We did that mini experiment. Actually, we got some positive feedback, Simon, that it was a good idea. But we just didn't have time to follow it through. And maybe that's one we'll bring back in the future. But we're constantly trying ideas like that by sending out emails and making it happen. And I think that's the heart of this mini experiment is the first idea you come up with probably won't be the one you end up running. So let's get through the bad ideas quickly to get you to the one that actually will succeed. Yeah, I think you're right. I definitely hesitated on that one, but I definitely want to do it. Please, can you give me time to learn Spanish first? (laughs) We don't have to go to a Spanish-speaking country. Or... No, 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 but I'm excited for that. Me too. Hey, look, there's one thing that you triggered in my mind, Alan, as you were chatting about failing fast and failing cheap. And and you're absolutely right. Since 2003, I've tried loads of different ideas out. I bounced back in and out of corporate life and in a, in a couple of different jobs whilst I was in between experimenting and so on. And I think this new world that I've dragged myself into from being an employee into being a, an entrepreneur that is sort of still in the making and every, every day is different and every day we learn something and relearn something, which is one of the, the hooks for me. It's so exciting. and no, no day is the same ever. But I think what happened to me in the early days, so after that first experiment, I think the time between experiments was about 18 months to two years. Yes. And I think there is something here about the bounce back ability. So, you know, when I was sending those three or four emails and getting depressed that no one was excited about my projects, and when I was sort of making two or three phone calls instead of two or 300 a week, the process that I went through when I realized that this idea wasn't working was one of pain because it, it failed. And all of these grand plans and ideas that I'd shared with everybody, none of them were were coming through. And that felt painful at the time and it dented my confidence. So my bounce back ability was 18 months to two years. Now, when we experiment with something and it doesn't work, my bounce back ability is about two and a half minutes. And I recognize now that that is part of the process, that we, by these experiments, we are tacking our way to the place that we want to get to rather than trying to get there in one jump because we don't know what there looks like. And that's not to say that you shouldn't have a vision. Definitely have the vision, but don't be too tied to it because you're never going to get anywhere near it until you take those first couple of steps. And it's it's having a little bit of humility. And I think I've recognized that being super confident and having big ideas and a vision is cool, but you also need a bit of humility to go, well, I know I'm never going to reach that stuff until I start taking some steps. And in order to take some steps, I need to get out of my comfort zone. And if it feels a little bit uncomfortable, that's good because it's getting you closer. If the experiment doesn't work, that's good because it's getting you closer. And I think, you know, the more of these mini experiments that you do, the faster the bounce back ability comes because you'll be buoyed by your successes and you'll have learned from the things that haven't gone how you want them to go. So if you can get your bounce back ability down to two and a half minutes, then I think you know, you're in good shape. So let's come back to the very start of the podcast here where I started with, should you burn the boats 
and go all in. And these wonderful expressions like go big or go home. Is that just bravado and arrogance or, you know, how much of this is true? If you were speaking to an employee who had a good job, but they dreamed of getting out and starting a business, what would you recommend, Simon? <laughs> well, I've, as you know, Alan, I've, I've tried lots of different approaches to this. I've burned the boats twice and I've got opposing experiences from, from that. Uh, I've tried to build something in my spare time around a day job, around a full-time job. And I've also tried running experiments and business projects whilst having a part-time job. So I feel qualified to be able to answer the question. <laughs> I, I don't know if my experiences are going to necessarily help anybody because, uh, as I say, it was, it's been a real mixed bag. I think the first thing that I did was I burned the boats in 2003. I had a very successful career the first 10 years of my life, and I was on a very exciting trajectory. But I started to think that actually maybe I'd outgrown that and maybe this wasn't the thing for me after all. And there's a big wide world out there. I want to try different things. And I decided that I wanted to be either an entrepreneur or a rock star. And I ran both of those projects simultaneously for the next 15 years uh, with mixed success. And the fact that I'm on a business podcast with my business partner tells you which one was more successful project. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I think what happened is when I started that business and had all these little projects going, when I realized that things weren't going my way, it was also at a time where I discovered my biggest miscalculation, which was I thought that by running a business, that meant I had to do everything myself. And I thought, you know, I'm a creative guy. I've got lots of ideas. I'm very resourceful. I can turn my hand to lots of things. But after about five or six months of sitting in the four walls of my bedroom, and whilst I had a very nice room and it, it looked out over the sea on the River Solent on the south coast of the UK, it was a lovely spot, beautiful spot. I was very grateful to have it. But I was going absolutely bananas. And I think I missed the interaction with co-workers and, you know, the banter, the idea generation, the challenge and all that kind of stuff. And I then thought, well, actually, to balance the equation out, instead of me running these business projects full time, why don't I take a part time job so that at least I get some human interaction to balance the week up a little bit? And I, and I took a job working as a fundraiser for a charity, again, in, in the south coast of the UK. And what I discovered was that I'm quite binary. So I'm either one or zero. I'm all in or not. So trying to run two things at the same time, I actually found really difficult. And the same before I left my job, but just the way that my brain works is that when I'm passionate about something, I'm all in and I'll give, I'll give it my, you know, my 100% effort. So what happened was that I got drawn into the job and the business then started to suffer even more as a result of it. So then I took the full-time job and then I kind of bounced in and out until you know, well, when we started pop up in 2011, we came up with the idea and 2012 was when we ran that first event. Alan, remember that, that crazy fortnight down in Western Supermare? How could I ever forget that with the curries and the fun and helping all those stories? What an amazing event. We ate a lot of curry in that fortnight and had some amazing experiences. And I think I wasn't in a position to go all in because I had no savings. I had no cash runway. And I think, you know, one of the things my brother said to me actually in the early days was that if you think it's going to take you a month, you can guarantee it's going to take you six. If you think it's going to take you six months, it's probably going to take you 12 to 18. And I think if you are going to burn the boats, and, I, and I've done this twice, as I say, with mixed results, what I learned from the second time of doing it, which was 
prompted by that dodgy buffet that you took me for in Milton Keynes. You know, one of those restaurants that's got every single dish from around the world, which makes you unsure as to whether they've got the skills to cook anything properly. When we, when we were in that buffet, that was a burn the boats moment. And we decided to do that. I couldn't have done that without the cash runway. And I think if you are someone that's thinking, yeah, maybe I need to go all in, I would definitely recommend that as a learning process. If you think it's going to be easy and you want it to be easy or you don't have a cash runway, that might not be the smartest thing for you to do. I tell you what, though, the pop-up business school probably wouldn't exist if I hadn't have done that thing twice of burning the boats because whilst the ride is a lot rougher, the learning experiences are greater. And the reason that I can have this conversation now is because of the strength and the knowledge and the confidence and the ideas and the the learning experiences that I've had by going for the hardest path. I think a smarter route to be, and there's a lot smarter people listening to this than me, a smarter route could perhaps be, you know, taking some of the principles that Tim Ferriss talked about back in his book in the early days of, you know, what can you do to free up more time? Can you be more productive in your day job by working remotely for one day a week and demonstrate to your co-workers and your boss that actually you get twice the amount of work done if you have two days a week working from home. And then you can be much more productive with your time rather than filling it with stuff that's perhaps less productive and create yourself eight to 12 hours per week extra that you wouldn't normally have And then use that as an opportunity to develop the idea, build the hustle, do the experiment, stick it in front of customers and so on. And I think if I was going to launch a a side hustle again, I think that would perhaps be my route. But the experiences I've had by burning the boats, I wouldn't trade for anything because it's those battle scars that have given me the the knowledge and and strength right now. Yes. And I think as with any comparison, it's a bit of a false dichotomy because should you burn the boats or not is not a yes or no answer. It is a what stage of your career at? Do you have any dependents? How much cash runway do you have? How confident in the idea? There's so many different aspects to this that there is no one right answer. I would say that for nearly everyone who comes, I would be saying, let's do a week long experiment or a two week long experiment. If you've got a job, can you take a week off and go full in, do a mini experiment and see if it works? And if it does, you might have enough confidence to quit your job or you might not. And can you go all in for a short period of time to make this work? That would be my general advice for people right now is do it as a time-bound mini experiment where you're looking for a clear result. If 10 people buy, tick, you've probably got enough to be able to get going. If no one buys, well, we've learned a lot and we can move on. And that's kind of how I look at it nowadays, Simon. There's one bit I'd add to that, Alan, as well. You're absolutely right. And I think there is a bit here of whatever your personal circumstances, if you're going to try an experiment, I know that lots of people listening will will have more than one idea bouncing around their heads, trying to figure out which direction to go in. And one of the most common questions I get asked is, how do I decide which of my ideas to run for the mini experiment? And I think the first thing I'd say is it, it doesn't really matter which one you choose. It just matters that you choose. Because especially if you're time poor, I mean, I've got three kids and, you know, running a side gig as well as a business or having a full time job would be a big ask. 
what we've got to make sure is the thing that we choose is our best guess of what excites us the most. Because lots of us get seduced by the idea of having a certain kind of business. And, you know, it's the, the analogy I often use is the author. You know, we meet lots and lots of people that love the idea of having their own book with their name in lights on the shelf in the bookstores. But there are a whole bunch of people that aren't that crazy about writing. And so it's actually the activity that you have to do in order to make that business idea real. How much does that excite you? Because if you're pumped by that, then you know, you're know you more likely to give your experiment a proper go. And I think one of the reasons why many experiments don't kind of make it through to the next stage is the amount of time and effort that people put in. And that's often linked not to the amount of time they have available, but because there's always time. It's all about how, how passionate you are to do it. How much does it excite you to do it? And that, that would be my, my additional thought for the running the experiment. Be absolutely right. You know, a time limited, what's the goal here? Is the goal to make one sale? Is the goal to, you know, to speak to a hundred people about my idea and then, you know, run it for a couple of weeks and then pause and see what you've learned and how you feel about it. So Simon, one of the things we all need to know is this mini experiment sounds great. It sounds fabulous. I can get some feedback. I can test an idea. I can do it with lower risk. I can do it without the risk of traditional entrepreneurship and without the time. But how do you conduct a proper mini experiment? How do you do this? What are the steps? Well, I guess the starting point is to know what the idea is that you're going to test and also make sure that that idea is in is grounded in reality i'll never forget the dance teacher that we met in kent a few years ago in the southeast of the uk who had her idea for a mini experiment was to fly a team of argentinian dancers to the uk and tour the uk teaching people how to do latin style dancing properly which is a beautiful and wonderful vision. Unfortunately, she didn't have any money or any idea or any, any experience of how to make that thing happen. So we need to dial back the idea from the vision to go, okay, I might have this big vision of what I want my business, what I think I want my business to be like. But my starting point is to go, what is it that I can sell now and who is most likely to buy it and how am I going to reach them? And those are the three things that go through my mind. A little wraparound of that is making sure that I've picked something that I'm going to love doing. That's my starting point. What is it I'm going to sell? Who is it that I'm going to sell it to? What's the size of the action that I'm going to take? And wrapped around by this thing of, of love. Am I going to love to do whatever it takes to make this happen? I love that. I absolutely love that. I think our friend with the Argentinian dancing forgot the word mini in front of experiment and she was going for a maxi experiment. Yes, doing a tour around the UK for nine months of dancing is not a mini experiment. A mini experiment is putting on one dance class for one group of people and seeing if it sells. If it sells, run it. If it doesn't, don't. That's a mini experiment. Then once you've run one dance class, well, let's try and sell a set of three. Well, if the set of three works, well, let's try and set a pop-up event and maybe we fly one Argentinian dancer in and we do it that way. But we get the money from the customers first. And it's a series of ever-growing experiments to work out if this business will actually work. So I think the key word here is mini. Start with mini. Which brings us on to one of the sayings of Pop-Up Business School. Start small, make the best of what you've got, 
and get on with it. I wanted to swear at that point, as you know, Simon, but we won't. You normally do. Yeah, start small, make the best of what you've got and get on with it. And I think this brings us back to people being trapped by the giant vision. So the giant vision is own a restaurant, own a vineyard and have a Michelin star. Well, I don't even know where to start on that. And this is the bit, like, how do you actually get going? Yeah, I think you're right, Alan. I think this thing about getting going usually means that you have to face up to something that gives you some feelings of fear because it feels uncomfortable. Of course it does because we're doing something new. Outside my house right now, I'm in the Midlands in the UK, as you know, there's two kids on roller skates and one of them is really good at roller skating and I'm enjoying watching their skills. The other one looks like a newborn calf that's skating on iced banana skins for the first time. But you know what? They've got a big smile on their face and it's the same with these mini experiments. It's probably going to be uncomfortable because you've got to talk to strangers. It's going to be uncomfortable because you have to embrace this thing called social media. It's going to be uncomfortable because you know you need to make a video to do something. And my recent rule of thumb is if it feels uncomfortable, that's probably the thing that you have to go and do next. So in order to get that mini experiment up and running and to understand what does it actually mean to get on and do it, well, it just means you've got to just give it a go and just whatever that action is that you've decided, whether it's sending an email, making a phone call, you know, getting in front of someone in person, doing a social media post, whatever those actions are, if it's scary, if it feels something that you're, you're hesitant to do, guess what? That's the thing that you have to go and do. And you have to do 10 times more of it than you think you need to. And yes, the first couple of phone calls will be tricky or the first couple of Facebook posts will be challenging, but that's okay. That's part of the process. And by the 10th one, you'll be fine. You'll be up and running. Yes. And there is a point to go all in and burn the ships, but it's not when you know nothing about the business. It's not when you know you've never run it before. It's not when you've never even sold anything. That's not the point to burn the ships and go all in with debt. That comes later. You need to do the mini experiment first. So let's take a couple of real life examples, Simon. I've got some ideas for this. But if you were to launch, uh, maybe your idea is a podcast. How do you do a mini experiment on a podcast? Well, I think with this, there's a whole bunch of people in your network that you know whether it's friends, family, neighbours, friends of friends, co-workers, your former boss, there's somebody interesting out there to speak to. And if that person coincides with something, a topic that really, really excites you, then that's the first episode that you're going to make. And you're going to make the podcast by ringing them up or emailing them or both and asking them if they want to come and play, make the podcast stick it in front of the audience that are most likely to be interested with it. And just like from the escape room is to get immediate feedback of what you need to do to improve. I think that would be one of my thoughts. My second thought is somebody out there has done a podcast before and there's a good chance that you know someone who knows someone that's done a podcast. So you'll learn more in a half an hour conversation with them than you will in the next three months of experimenting. So you can shortcut some of this stuff. I'm going to give you a classic example, of course, you know, Brad and Jonathan from Choose FI have been phenomenal with the development of the Rebel Entrepreneur podcast. And Alan, I bet you've learned more from them about podcasting than if you'd spent the last 18 months trying to do it yourself. 
Absolutely. They helped me guide through most of the things I would have failed on so that my experiment is I'm going to record a season, stick it out there and see if anyone listens. If they do, I know I've got something and I'll keep going. If they don't, well, I've had fun talking to you and the other guests and I've had a good time on the journey. And I think this actually brings us on to we'll do some more examples, definitely about how to mini experiment businesses. The bit here I wanted to examine was what are the metrics to know whether the experiment worked or not? Because actually, Simon knows I love numbers. I love numbers. I love actual proof. And I want to know what are the actual metrics are. So if I do season one of the podcast, I've got an idea of how many downloads, how many subscribers I want to get to know if there's enough of a green shoot, enough success for me to go all in and burn the boats and have a go. And I think knowing what those numbers are, number of subscribers, number of views, number of people who said they'll buy, number of people who have bought cash in the bank. Do you have any ideas about the metrics people should look for, Simon, as to know? Because you said earlier, what gets measured gets done. What gets measured gets improved. What should we be measuring for these mini experiments? Three things go through my head, Alan. I think it's a great question. The first thing is lead indicators. The second is lag indicators. And the third thing is, well, I'll come on to that in a minute. So lead indicators are the things that help us measure the activity that's going to deliver the result rather than waiting until the result has happened. So a little bit like my Moshi Monsters, it was a lead indicator. I was measuring how many calls I was making and how many emails I was sending because I know that later on that's going to help me figure out what are the metrics around how many people respond to my emails, how many people answer the phone and how much cash is there in the bank. So there's, there's sort of two sides to those measurements. And I think that activity measure and having great habits and following some of the brilliant advice of James Clear on you know, his book, Atomic Habits, what a book that is, you know, following some of these principles so that you can get into really good habits and a good rhythm of doing something every single day to grow your business. And that was a mantra that we've had at Pop-Up since 2011. Do something every single day to grow your business, whatever it is. That to me is, is a key metric. And then the metrics that you were talking about for me is the secondary bit of, okay, so I've done a social media post. I've done a, a Facebook video or I've done a, a YouTube. I've, I've sent a whole bunch of tweets. I've followed 50 people. What has been the impact of my activity on social media? media and what could I do differently to accelerate that process so that I get 10x the results next time or twice the results next time or, or whatever it is is a frame that feels right for us in that moment so lead indicators lag indicators my third one is um is a bit more of a romantic view Alan because you know I'm a romantic <laughs> at heart um to me the number one metric is now that I've done this activity today how excited am I to get up and do it tomorrow and you don't get those days every single day of the week for sure. But what I know ultimately is whatever happened to the pop-up business school, you know, in the next five years or the next 10 years or the next three months, whatever happens, I will wake up tomorrow morning pumped to help someone figure out their business challenges. 
I love talking about people's business and helping them figure out what direction to go in, helping them solve problems and, and actually, you know, helping unlock the potential of the person that's behind the business. It's what I get out of bed for. That to me is the single metric that is going to drive our business and make it as successful as it can be because I literally cannot wait to have the next one of those conversations. I'm literally, I'm, I'm, I'm on the edge of my, I'm, I'm not even stood up, I'm sat down, but I'm sort of half standing and half sitting because I'm like, I'm come on, Alan, let's do another one of these. This is brilliant. I am having so much fun. And I think that to me is the, I've said it third, but the romance in me says that that's the one, the caveat to this, you don't know this until you do the experiment yes. and it happens over time. I didn't wake up on whatever day that was in, I know where it was, Alan, you came to see me in my office in Portsmouth in the UK and we had a really, really cool conversation, but I didn't wake up the next morning with this fully refined and understood vision of I get out of bed to help people unlock their business challenges as my personal vision. That that has that's taken sort of seven, eight years to cook. And in fact, there has been times over the last sort of three or four years, even maybe in the last 18 months when I've been questioning my own clarity of my own direction. Is this the right place for me to be? And it's taken me a long, long time to get there. And I think it's only in the last probably 10, 12 months when I've realized actually this is the thing that drives me. And I think we, we are very, very short term with our thinking. We, you know, we think about our business ideas and we think, oh, this thing's got to work and I've got to get it up and running and it's got to work quickly and, and so on. But actually, we completely underestimate what we can achieve if we took a much, much longer view. And I think if I was to shift something from my own thinking and you know, revisit where we were at, I'd be thinking about 10 years strategy. Because, you know, we are seven, eight years into pop-up and it feels like now we're just starting to hit our stride and learning from all the things that we've learned and, and everything's lining up nicely. But it's not a quick thing. Maybe I'm a slow learner, but it hasn't been quick for me. And I'll just add one more thing here. Simon, you are absolutely a business romantic. And then I'll bring <laughs> us crashing back down with talking about cold, hard cash. And actually, this is why we're a good partnership. Because... I go, that's great that we're excited, but did we make any money? Did we get any profit? And I think our partnership has always been built on complementary skills. And what I really want to know is, did we make any money? So one of the major, major things for me is you've run this mini experiment. How many did you sell? What profit did you make or not? And would it actually work in the future? Because if you're not making money, it's not a business, it's a charity. Yes, you're absolutely right, Alan. Do you remember that exercise that we did back in the early days where we wrote a list of all of the things that we each value and then compared our list? And I think, you know, money was quite a long way down both of our lists. I think yours was higher than mine. And I'd written all these idealistic kind of views. And that taught us both something that, you know, if you're struggling for money, where is it on your values list? Because if you don't value it, that might be a key reason as to why you don't have much of it. And I think, you know, I'm much more commercially focused perhaps in the last four or five years than I ever have been, both in terms of personal finances and the business as well. And I think like the good news uh, that I can tell you, Alan, is that we have made some money. Yes. So I know that will make you a lot happier. And I think that's, yeah, if you focus on it, it'll expand. So if you focus on managing your money and looking after it, it will definitely expand. So let's do a couple more examples of mini experiments and then wrap up our mini experiment episode, Simon. 
if you had restaurant in mind, how would you run a mini experiment on a restaurant? I'm going to go to my local cafe, who's a really cracking guy called Danny. His cafe closes about 5 p.m. It opens every other Sunday. Uh, it's shut on Saturday afternoons and Saturday evenings. So I'm going to pitch to him. I'm going to make friends and say, Danny, I want to turn your cafe into a restaurant just for one night. Please, can I borrow your chairs, tables, your space, a little bit of electricity, your cooking equipment, your plates and cutlery? And I'm going to ask you if that would be okay. And by the way, would you like to come? I'm going to sell tickets, but obviously it will be free for you. And my idea is to split the profit 50-50. What do you think? That's my starting point. My next point is to go to all of my friends and family that live locally and sell them tickets in advance with a set menu, get them to choose their food in advance, take the money when I ask them uh, for it, which will be straight away up front because they're going to they're pay me because it's trust. They know me. They're more likely to pay me for something that doesn't exist yet because I've got that trust in place. And that's the key bit for me. If you're going to get paid in advance for something, then I'm going to give half of the cash back to Danny straight away and he's going to look at me quizzically and say you haven't even opened the restaurant yet how are you able to pay me half of the money and then I'm going to spend a little bit of cash on a few candles I'm going to swap some of the pictures by borrowing them from friends and family and taking them off the walls of my house so that it looks and feels a bit different I'm going to ask the garden center to borrow a couple of pot plants and then I'm going to go and cook for 20 30 people inside the cafe and see if I like it Alan I'm going to run this next, when am I going to do it? Let's do it. Let's do it in the middle of August for my birthday celebration. The tickets are 20 pounds. Would you and Katie like to come? What's on the menu? What's your favourite food? Pizza or burritos. It's going to be either pizza or burritos, Alan. I'm in. What would you prefer? (laughs) How do you take the money? I'm in. (laughs) I'm sending you a PayPal link right now. (laughs) Friends and family. (laughs) So let's take one more example, because a lot of the examples we've spoken about are services. A physical product, you've got the idea, you've got the dream, you've not really built it. How do you do a mini experiment on, I don't know, a new type of bag or a, a new piece of tech or you know, a board game, whatever it is? How do you do a mini experiment on that? I think for me, I'm looking for what's the minimum viable product that I could create as a prototype and what's the minimum amount of information that a customer may need to see, hear and feel in order to get the sale over the line. So, you know, I'll give you some examples. So we had a skincare business actually that came to one of our events down in the the south of the UK. And what she was doing for her business is that she was in the process of finding a manufacturer for the products that she was developing. And they were uh, skincare products that she had her own recipe. But she has a process that she has to go through, which gets them tested and needs certain legislation to be able to sell them legally. What we've explored with her, and it's worked brilliantly, she made a prototype she made a prototype and she made a video of her talking about it. And the prototype then enabled her to take some really, really nice photographs. And she didn't get a professional photographer. She just used the portrait mode on the iPhone. And she took some great pictures of her stuff. And then she started putting them on Instagram and sharing the links with her friends and family. And I think a key part of this is that 
you don't need to sell to strangers straight away because there's a whole bunch of people that already know you and they already trust you and they know that if they give you money that you're going to be good for the cash and deliver the product whenever you tell them. So I think this sort of idea of making a video so people can see the whites of your eyes or they can see a prototype of the product you don't even need to tell them that it's a prototype. You just need to give people a sense of this is a real thing. Therefore, I trust it and be open about what the delivery time is. So if you're going to make a product, you've got the prototype, you've got some nice pictures, you've got a video, you've got maybe a, a Facebook page or a website page that gives people a place to go so that when they go there, they feel like A, you're a real person and B, this is a real thing. And then you can say to people look, the delivery time is estimated six to eight weeks and pay me in advance uh, as soon as the, the cash has been paid, then I'll place your order. And you only need to have a, a sales target of whatever that minimum order value is if it's a physical product that you need to you know, perhaps buy 50 of them in one go to make it worthwhile doing. So and I think, again, like we said earlier on, you know, people try and jump to, I want my skincare product in boots and super drug and you know CVS and target and all of those different shops yeah straight to retail straight yeah exactly that straight to retail and you know before we can go straight to retail we've got to make sure that someone wants to buy it haven't we so we've got to ask people get their feedback and of course once you've made the sale then you've got testimonial opportunities that you've got real people that can make you a little video and give you a lovely quote to put on your website so that you get this vicarious trust, this social proof that your product A, actually exists and B, that people really enjoyed it too. So those are the sort of thought processes that I go through when I'm thinking about selling a product in advance. And absolutely, we need to figure out, let's take the money before we even make the thing. I love that. One of the ideas I actually have, which I'm going to run a mini experiment later in the year, I've always wanted to create a board game, Simon, and I'm actually planning to do, it sounds dull, but it's actually really exciting, a finance board game um, with a couple of friends. We're going to sit down, we're going to design a board game, we're going to create a prototype, and our plan is to put it on Kickstarter and see if we can sell enough to make that first order, and we'll do a mini experiment. I've always wanted to create a board game. So, well, why not do a mini experiment, try it and get it out there? That's my plan. I think it's a genius idea. I know you're going to come up with a better title for it than the finance board game. Something that's going to entice us, Alan. I don't know. What do you think is wrong with my current title? <laughs> I can see the faces of some of my friends and family staring at me blankly. I can imagine <laughs> their faces right now. But you know what? There is something that you've just triggered a thought with, actually. You know, Kickstarter is a great example of um, you know one of those websites. There's plenty of them where they act as the middle person so that they take your money and they don't pay you, of course, until you've got enough cash to deliver on the order. But you know, the amount of money that you charge people for your product can actually be a great leverage opportunity to encourage people to pay in advance. So for example, if, if your product is $100 or £100, then you can say to people, if you pay me in full in advance, then you'll save 20%. So I'll take 20 off. You know, you can use strategies like that to do it. And one of the businesses that we helped to start, which is one of my favorite businesses uh, and business women I've ever met, She's a student in Windhoek, Namibia, so the capital of Namibia in uh, in Southern Africa. And she came along to our sessions, Alan. You remember those sessions that we ran for the Namibian Women's Summit? Very well. Now, 
the thing that she was doing was she was saying, look, I want to make T-shirts, but I can't afford to buy the T-shirts. And she lives she lives in the poorest part of Namibia in an area called Katatura. She said, I'm really worried that if I go and spend money on a bunch of T-shirts that I won't be able to sell them. And of course, classic pop-up style, we said, we'll take the money in advance. And she said, yeah, but I get that. I understand the principle of getting paid in advance, but who is going to trust me enough to give me money for something because I've got no guarantee, you know, that, that it's just on the whites of my eyes. And I said, well, what you could do is you could ask for 50% of your customers' money in advance and tell them that you're going to go and, you know, get the t-shirts as soon as they pay. And then as soon as they deliver the t-shirt, then you pay the other 50%. And that way, that's a way of you sort of mitigating the challenge of trust if I hand over my money in full. Because originally she was looking at me saying, yeah, no one's going to pay me for these t-shirts in advance. But the 50-50 thing, she said, yeah, I can see how that might work. Now, I went back to Namibia in August and, and I met her. And oh my goodness, you know, she is famous across Vintook because of the brand of her t-shirt. She did exactly that. She followed that process. She used her customer's money to build her business and she's gone from t-shirts to hoodies to hats and a whole bunch of other stuff. So I think that to me that I often get that challenge. Yeah, but for a service business, it's easier, isn't it? Well, it's not easier. You're not missing something. You just need to be a little bit creative to think around it. I absolutely love that example, Simon. So that brings us to the close of the mini experiment section. I would say to you that episode eight, the next episode, is a coaching series. So the Rebel Entrepreneur Coaching Series at the Pop-Up Business School event in Charleston. We had a fantastic yoga teacher come along called Darcy. And the next episode is me coaching her through how to go from a pop-up business to having a permanent space and we talk about the experiments she's run. Episode nine is also a coaching series. And you'll remember Sean Jenkins, who built Benefit Focus from episode four. His new business is going to be a podcast. And I coach Sean through thinking through how to launch that podcast and his first few episodes. And it ties beautifully into this mini experiment thoughts. So those are the two episodes coming up. Stay with us. We're going to talk about why are we doing this podcast, making money from the podcast. I've got a closing message for you and a challenge right at the end. But Simon, why are we doing this podcast, The Rebel Entrepreneur? Why are we doing it? Because you wanted to do a podcast, Alan. <laughs> That's exactly it. Well, actually, why we're doing it for me and the reason why I want to do it is to bust the myth that it takes money to make money. Because I think that is a myth, a belief around the world that stops people taking action. And I want to destroy that and show people that you can make money doing something you love. That's why I am doing this podcast. Why do you bother helping me then, Simon? Maybe that's a better question. <laughs> that's a great question as well. I think the, uh, the thing that goes through my mind, Alan, is that do you remember that chat we had with Mr. Money Mustache, who said it was along the lines of, you know, would you think I would change the world 150 people at a time in community centers across America? No, I needed to figure out a digital way of spreading my message as well as a physical way, because that enables me to reach more people. And I think I've known for years that we have got something magical in our events and we've changed so many people's lives 
but we're a finite resource. And I think what this does for me is it takes the ideas of pop-up and the real life examples of real people solving real business challenges in real time and shares that experience with a much wider audience. And I think that excites me together with the other guests that you've got lined up. And I've looked at the schedule and I think I cannot wait to listen to these episodes. So I think that's the reason why I'm here. I think it obviously it helps us massively with our mission, but I told you earlier on what gets me up in the morning is the idea of helping people figure out their business challenges. And I know that the guests that you've got lined up on the topics that we're talking about and actually our unique way of looking at these things is going to help a lot of people. And that is massively exciting. 100%. Now, the audience needs to know, you need to know that we're actually planning on making money from this podcast. It costs money to do this. The hosting services, the editor, the graphics design and all of that stuff. It costs money. Now, we're planning on doing some adverts, maybe some sponsorship of the show to generate the money to pay for the bills. And if there's any extra money left over, we're going to split that 50-50 with Choose FI. Choose FI are going to put their 50% of the profits towards their foundation, which will go towards teaching financial literacy, which I think is an incredible cause. And Simon and I's 50% of the profits will actually go to running a pop-up business school completely free. What we want to do is if you use our affiliate links, if you click on our sponsors, if you do that, it will generate a small amount of profit for us. Once that profit has built up enough to be able to pay for a full pop-up business school, we're going to do a vote with you as to where you want us to run it. And then we will go somewhere and run a pop-up business school for people and give it all away completely for free. That's the plan with the cash because the pop-up business schools, they are always free and we find sponsors. The Rebel Entrepreneur podcast will become one of those sponsors. You will become a sponsor of Pop-Up Business School if you use the affiliate links and the sponsors at some stage. And then we'll go and run one of those events. And if you want to know where the upcoming Pop-Up Business Schools are that you can come along to, go to popupbusinessschool.co.uk forward slash events and you can see the list of future events. As you probably know, we're also part of the Choose FI family of podcasts. They are an incredible pair, Brad and Jonathan, that built a podcast called Choose FI, teaching all the skills of financial independence. They have a fantastic podcast, so go over and check them out. And if you know anyone else who's struggling with business, please send them a link to our episodes, specifically with this one. If you know someone who's got a business idea, but they don't know where to start, this could be the key to unlocking their entrepreneurial talent. So I'd love you to do that. Send them this episode. Simon, do you have anything to add? I'm going to make a commitment to you, Alan. And I remember earlier in this episode, uh, you alluded to the developing world mini experiment that we didn't push over the line. Well, one of us didn't. <laughs> Is that throwing you under the bus at this point? You have completely thrown me under the bus. And I, I tell you, it's not often that I'm speechless. And this is not one of those moments either. So <laughs> I love you anyway. You, Donagan. Listen, what I was thinking of is that when we've raised enough cash 
through the podcast and you know we've got the affiliate links clicked and uh, anyone that does that thank you very much and as alan said every single pop-up business school is free to people that attend but we have a commercial model in the sense that we can't run these events unless you know we find those sponsors and and what a rebel entrepreneur sponsored event enables us to do is to go and run an event wherever the hell we want rather than being restricted by geographic location so so that's hugely exciting and i think that gives us an opportunity to run our events anywhere in the world and we've done a few experiments in france uh, in morocco in new zealand and, and of course across america as well as the uk but i think this opens up a great opportunity and my commitment, Alan, is to, if we get to that point when the Rebel Entrepreneur podcast can sponsor a pop-up, I want to turn it into a circular business model and we'll push over the line the idea that we had originally, which will then raise enough cash for it to be like a domino effect. So if the Rebel Entrepreneur podcast sponsors one pop-up business school, what we can do then is to invite senior leaders from corporate organizations, entrepreneurs, philanthropists, and other interested people to come and help us deliver that pop-up business school event. And they'll pay a fee because of all of the stuff around it. And we'll train them in some of our methodology and they can get involved and help us create new businesses wherever we run that event. And then the money that we raise from their contribution will pay for the next one. And I'm massively pumped for that. What do you think? Should we do that? I love that. It sounds like a mini experiment. Let's do it. (laughs) <laughs> let's do it this time i'll let's do it okay i'm in absolutely do this absolutely okay closing call to action for you listening what simon and i want you to do is to get off the sidelines and design and run a mini experiment we don't really care what it is we just want you to have a go even if it's designing a free website adding an email address capture form and then promoting it just to see if people respond. Put it out into the world and we'd love to know what you do. So tell us about your mini experiments. Tell us about the feedback. Test, try, get out there and get into the world and take action. Become a rebel entrepreneur. You've been listening to Rebel Entrepreneur with Alan Donegan. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes to get new fresh episodes as soon as they've launched. To stay up to date with the rebellion, visit choosefi.com slash rebel. Thanks for joining the rebellion.